Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Episode number four of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is sponsored by HockeyTournaments.com. If you're looking to play in a tournament or list your tournament, please visit HockeyTournaments.com. Would also ask you to visit the PHA's official charity, Hockey Cares for Kids, at hockeycaresforkids.org. This charity connects hockey legends with economically underprivileged children. Our program delivers impactful anti-bullying messages, health and nutritional education, and the ability for all kids to play the sport of hockey. Today's guest is Larry Plo, one of the most respected people in the game and a member of the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Larry is one of the top American hockey players in the 60s and 70s, playing for Team USA at the 68 Winter Olympics in Grenoble. He then went on to play three seasons with the Montreal Canadiens, winning the Stanley Cup in 1971. In 1972, Larry became the first ever player to sign with the hometown New England Whalers of the upstart WHA. The Whalers won the WHA championship in 73, and Larry went on to play in three consecutive WHA All-Star games. After retiring as a player in 79, Larry embarked on a long and very successful career as an executive with the Whalers, New York Rangers, and St. Louis Blues. We're back with uh, Larry Plo here on the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. And Larry, first of all, it was great to see you and your lovely wife uh, this summer at the Whalers 72-73 reunion. Yeah, yeah, that was really a lot of fun. There was, you know, we hadn't seen a lot of those people in so long, and and uh, to see Jack and Howard uh, together was really fun. Um, and I thought they did a really good job too. There was a lot of activity, and uh, I know all the guys enjoyed it very much. And a couple of guys couldn't make it. I had talked to them after and talked to them about it and uh, how good it was, and they had, you know, they had wished they could have made it. Selwood was hoping to get there. I talked to Teddy Green afterwards and uh and uh, tommy webster there was only three or four that couldn't make it yeah it would have been uh nice to have everybody but next time uh we'll we'll, we'll make sure everybody gets there we'll have a little, little more lead time um it reminded me though and I, as uh i was watching all you guys interact and uh being part of the proceedings that night the close bond and i see i see all the emails going back and forth to you guys uh the close bond that that group still has today. Well, I think, you know, when you go through, uh, it's, it's anytime you win, I think that's, you, you go to a certain extent and uh, you end up winning something together. I think those are memories that stick with you for a long time. Uh, it was a heck of a year. It was the first year of the WHA. Uh, you know, everybody took a chance to get there, uh, including all the management and everything. And, so it was uh, a lot of memories there. Uh, you know, Al Smith wasn't with us, but his wife was there. So, I mean, it's it, there was a lot of memories that were brought up as we were standing there talking. You remember this, you remember that. And we're going to have those for a long time. So it was nice to kind of refresh everything with uh, the people that you spent to uh, had a wonderful time with. An exciting year. And it was great to see Jack. He was he looked great. He was healthy. He spoke at the microphone. Uh, yeah, he he looks great. 
Yeah, Jack. He's got to be what ninety. Right, he's uh, ninety plus, and he was he hasn't lost his fastball. He's he was he was no, great. no, he was great. He was he was he was awesome, and 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 it was quite a uh, quite a memorable night. And thinking back at that, you know, as I kind of was speaking earlier that night, and I, I talked about my experience as a fan, first of all, with the Whalers, and. I first heard about the team, and I remember distinctly for some reason, uh, we had the day off from school, and my mother took me down to uh, Plymouth Plantation, see Plymouth Rock and all that, and we were coming back uh, up Route 3 and listening to WBZ Radio, and they announced that uh, Massachusetts native uh, Larry Plough would be the first player to sign with the new New England Whalers of the WHA. And that was not a uh, decision on your part to be taken lightly. Of course, uh, there'd be a, a pay increase and a return back to uh, uh, New England and an opportunity. However, it's certainly not a, a sure thing at, at that point, especially. Uh, what was your thought process when you decided to uh, jump leagues and join the New England Whalers? Well, I, I think for sure, you know, you had mentioned that uh, the pay raise, uh, you wanted to play more. Uh, I wasn't going to get ahead anywhere in Montreal. Uh, they had so much talent up there, and they were going into a heyday period too. Uh, I just wanted to play. I wanted to, you know, at least get paid more money. And I think a big part of it for my wife and I was uh, going back to New England. Me, me being from New England, um, I, that was a great opportunity. So I, I think that those are the main reasons. And you want to expand yourself. We took a chance. Everybody that came over took a chance. That everybody in the NHL in those days would just tell you there'd never be a WHA and you're never coming back here. And you know history showed different. Uh, seven years later, there was a merger. Four of the teams survived. Right. I think it had a lot. To, I think it had a lot to do with the way hockey is today, as far as the management side of it and where the growth has gone. And I think that was the first step to where we are today. Right, certainly gave the players at that time uh, a lot more leverage, and uh, at least had an option, and that certainly changed as, yeah. you, as you said the uh, the entire course of the management side of hockey. Now, you did something very unique uh, prior to all of that. Uh, an American kid going to play for the Montreal Junior Canadiens, um, very rare. I give the Canadiens credit; they were kind of a step ahead of everybody at that point, because I think Bobby Sheehan also joined the Junior Canadians at some point. What? How did that, I, I can't even imagine being a, a teenager, American kid, and going up to Montreal playing with the Junior Canadians. Can you talk about that with us a little bit? Yeah, basically, it was. I was at a hockey school in Worcester, Massachusetts. Worcester, I, Worcester my Arena. Year there. Yeah, with the old Worcester Arena, right, right. in the circle there. Right, yeah. right the home and, of uh, uh, home of Keith Elaine and uh, St. Peter's Hockey and. That yeah. that was my home. Was one of the, yeah, my home rink. There was one of their there was one of their first McDonald's in the country. It was right next to it. Right. I can remember they just sold their their one millionth hamburger. <laughs> now God knows how many it is. Right. But it was a small arena, and um, I was gone there three years in a row. And in those days, they had all the pros uh, were teaching in the summertime because they needed a job. They didn't make that much money. Right. And they had Stan McKeeter, Ralph Baxter, Charlie Hodge, Junior Langlois, and they had, you know, quite a few guys there. And uh, Charlie Hodge and Ralph Baxter, and they were with the Canadians. And I guess from what I was told after is they called Sammy Pollock and uh, Frank Selke, who was running the Canadians, and Sammy Pollock, who was running the junior team, that there was a prospect down here that they should take a look at. And they, uh, after, the, after the school was over, 
they sent Scotty Bowman down, and he came and watched me in a pickup game in Lynn and asked me if I wanted to go and play hockey in Canada, so in Montreal. I had no idea what it was. I just finished my sophomore year in school. I was 16 years old, and my dad, uh, we were hockey people. We loved hockey, and, you know, I played a lot of, uh, you know, minor hockey, midget, etc. We had just won the midget championship in the USA. So it was an opportunity, but I had no idea, you know, what it was and right. how it turned out. So, <clears throat> Well, that's uh, wasn't a lot of people doing it. No, that's for sure. And well, first of all, I grew up literally right down the street from Worcester uh, Arena, and so I didn't know that piece of trivia. I didn't, I, the, the part I did remember is it's almost incredible today. Of course, we're in the middle of Bruins country, and every year the Canadians and other NHL pros would be at the Worcester Arena doing hockey camps and everything, and it was quite unique, uh, you know, back in, in that time. But I was unaware that it had such a pivotal part of uh, the beginning of your career. Um, yeah, that was the whole thing, really. That's what started it. it was right there. 1968, uh, the U.S. Uh, Olympic hockey team. You're a member of that team. Uh, kind of one of those things where the team seemed to, you know, sometimes those things can be uh, luck plays a part in it. And uh, you had uh, some, some tough a tough seed early on, 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 as I recall, I think you played the Soviets and the Czechs early in that. You ended up having a strong second half of the, uh, the Olympic experience. The team did well over the last four games, as I recall. Can you tell, talk to us a little bit about your memories of, of that experience? They some interesting people on your, your teammates on your team that year, uh, but what are your memories of uh, the 68 Olympic U S Olympic hockey team? Well, it was a beautiful place, Grenoble, France, uh, right in the mountains. It was a great setting. Pe- Peggy Fleming was the uh, skater that won the gold medal, I think, in those days. Um, we ended up in fifth place, but it was a great experience. But, you know, the problem is you're so young. I was in, actually in the Army at the time, and the coach asked me if uh, you wanted to try out for the team, and I said, sure, but I'm in the Army. And they sent me on temporary duty on Labor Day, and I made the hockey team. So I, was, I spent six months six months with the uh, Olympic team towards my army duty. Pretty, uh, pretty good motivation, um, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> and we, we had some good players. You know, Johnny Conniff was with us, Paul Hurley, and uh, Herbie Brooks, Lou Nanny. Uh, we had a, a pretty good hockey team. We ended up in fifth place. There was only seven teams in it compared to today. Um and I know just from reading an article years back that, you know, the TV rights today are so gigantic, billions of dollars. The TV rights for the Winter Olympics was $8 million. And wow. uh, that's just the way everything has changed, you know. Right. But it was a great experience. Um, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but you don't, you're so young, you don't just, you wish you took some time to see some <laughs> things and really get some memories and pictures. But in those days, you're, at that age, you didn't do it. No, um, but it was a great experience. Absolutely. You know, just speaking of your your army obligations, and I believe this ties into this. You ended up playing with the Jersey Devils in the Eastern League. And yes. uh, for our Got fans it. out there that uh, weren't familiar with it or aren't familiar with the Eastern League, could be a little rough and tumble to say the least. Some real characters. Um, what were your thoughts as you jumped into that league? You obviously did very well, but you were kind of a a different type of player for that that league. Uh, you were you were a skilled guy and a, and a younger guy. Uh, the league was populated by a lot of real real tough characters. Uh, do you have any memories from from that league that you'd like to share? 
Yeah, it was great. Another great experience. I never practiced. Uh, I played 67 out of 72 games. I won Rookie of the Year. Um, they had John Brophy was there then, who was a, a tough guy. Uh, they had a lot of, that was it. The, the league was really a, a lot of toughness in it, but it was a great experience for me. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I didn't practice. I just played games. I was in the military, so I finished my military in, in Fort Dix, New Jersey, and Cherry Hill was so close that I could drive over there and play. And uh, I ended up playing 67 games, so it was really a, another stepping stone that helped me uh, when I reached the pros. But that league is, uh, I don't know, if, I'm sure most people out there have seen Slapshot. Uh, right. Slapshot was, that, was in that league. Uh, all the films that were done in that league were taken from Slapshot, from, uh, in Slapshot were taken from that league. Right. And quite a few of the characters that were in Slapshot on skates were, were played in that league. Right. Uh, I often tell people that the movie wasn't that much of an exaggeration of uh, it no, it wasn't like, an exaggeration at all. <laughs> I really can tell you the truth. <laughs> um, now you go from that to the other extreme. Uh, you join the Montreal Canadiens and had to be, I know you're young at that point and it's, uh, it's all a great experience, but it had to be incredible to walk into a locker room, put on the Montreal Canadiens jersey and, you know, look to your left or right and see, uh, you know, Jean Beliveau or Henri Richard or any of the great legends, Frank Mahovlich, who, who are playing. Uh, I don't know if Frank was there at that point, but um, J.C. Tremblay. The team was loaded with uh, superstars and future Hall of Famers. Had to be incredible to play with those guys. Well, it was, but again, you're so young, you don't even know. You know, when you look back at it now, you say, geez, that was unbelievable that you made that team. Right. Um, and one of the reasons I left, like I said earlier in the call, was that the, they were just at a heyday coming up, and they had great talent. And Lafleur was just my last year of pro with Montreal was Lafleur's first year. Belleville had retired. Uh, uh, Henry Richard was there. He won eleven Stanley Cups, the most of any player and most of any athlete uh, in championships. Um, so it was really a great experience. Montreal was a great city uh, in those days. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot. There was a lot of English speaking in Montreal. Uh, it was probably like 40% English, 60% French. So I enjoyed the uh, living there. Um, so it was, again, just a great experience that when you look back at you, know, you wonder how'd you get through it? How'd right. you end up where you're at? Right. Well, a lot of good young kids, too. Mark Tardif, Ray Jean Houle, uh, Guy Point, yourself, uh, 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 I think Chris Bordlow at some point, but um, yeah, Jid Druen and Serge Savard, Lemaire, they right. were all playing junior with me. Incredible! It's just uh, it, it's amazing. Like like you said, you do you didn't you're too young to have perspective, but again, upon reflection, well, that's it. You, you don't have the perspective. No, when you look back, you know what you did and what you went through, but you wish you could re rekindle a lot of it. Absolutely. Do you remember your the circumstances of your first NHL goal? Yeah, it was against the Rangers. It was a backhand shot against uh, Jackman. It actually, it was a penalty-killing goal. It was a shot-handed goal. Um, yeah, good one to get uh, a Hall of Fame score against a Hall of Famer uh, for your your first uh, first goal. And you remember I, I, the experience of coming into the Boston Garden. Um, it had to be a little strange coming into the Boston Garden wearing the opposition's jersey uh, back in those days. You remember your first trip back home to the Garden? Yeah, it was it was a, it was different going back to play Montreal and play the Bruins, and there was a great rivalry in those days, and it was a tough games. 
we had actually played the junior team had played Niagara, Boston's farm team in the OHL in those days. We had played a couple of games down there a couple of years before. Um, but it was, you know, the rivalry of Montreal Boston was just tremendous. And it was, uh, it was, and it was great to go home and your parents could see the game. It was, it was, it was great. It was, uh, again, another memory that you wish you had <laughs> right. kind of look into it a little bit more at the time. Skipping back to uh, your Whalers experience of you guys push through despite uh, a, a big injury to Terry Caffrey, you, um, win over the Winnipeg Jets. I believe you had uh, a hat trick in that last game, uh, which was on CBS TV, and they cut out the uh, the post game. But the um, tennis, the tennis, right? <laughs> <laughs> Drive you nuts. I mean, back in those days, uh, you would, as a fan, you're you're fighting for every bit of information you can get on on the Whalers and the WHA. It wasn't always that available. The, the team itself was on Channel 56 here locally. But uh, you know, you finally get to that uh, summit, that ultimate game, and uh, they they cut free. But that hey, it happened to the, even the best of them. It happened to the, the Raiders and the New York Jets and the NFL. So um, that that's the way it was back then. Um, as you look back at the as the Avco Finals that year against Bobby Hull and Chris Bordalo, and they had some great goaltending with Joe Daly and Ernie Wakeley. Uh, what were your your memories of the of the finals and winning the Avco Trophy? I can remember the final game that, that morning. I went, it was opening day for fishing, and I was up early. I couldn't sleep, so I went out and uh, I went fishing in the morning around <laughs> 6 o'clock. And Jimmy Dory was with me. We were roommates. And then we came back, had breakfast, had a little bit of a snooze. It was an afternoon game. And uh, we ended up winning the game. I think it was like 9-3 or 7-3, something like that. Yeah, it was, it was nine, a high score. No, it was, it was like 9-6. 9-6. six maybe. Yeah, it was a high-scoring game. and. Uh, it was a great thrill again at home. Your parents were there. My dad was there. We all went out for dinner after the whole team. It was a great experience. And, you know, Jack and Ron, they were great. I mean, they were, uh, Howard, they were, they, they were the people who, you know, brought that franchise in and, and did what they, uh, put it together right from the get go. And they, they survived the seven years and, and moved on as one of the stable franchises. And they're still going to Skippy Cunningham is still with them, I think, in, uh, <laughs> in Carolina. So many years. He's, it's, he's uh, a long survivor with the team, I think, down there. He is. And, you know, it's not a tough, it, it's not an easy job that he, he's had over the years. So, boy, I remember even when I worked for the Whalers, I would just, and that was 30 years ago, um, and saying to myself, how much more can can he be doing this? I mean, that's hard work with a lot of discipline and a lot of organization, but he is, uh, you know, perhaps the best ever at his craft and a heck of a good guy. And it's, it's nice to yeah, see. Great person. Sure. It's nice to see him. And it's nice to see uh, Chuck Hayden, you know, still with the franchise, so to speak down there. And, um, it's great to keep that, uh, that, that thread alive. When you, um, you conclude the season, obviously a great year. Uh, the next year ends a little bit short in Springfield. You guys had a lot of injuries playing uh, Chicago Cougars in the 74 playoffs. Uh, but the next year, you go to Hartford, Connecticut. You have a home of your own. Uh, what were your thoughts upon moving to Hartford and the reaction of the fans upon your arrival? Well, the reaction of the fans was great. I mean, they were, you know, they, they wanted hockey. It was a big league for them in that city. Um, they, the response from them was outstanding. Uh, we had great fans. 
Um, it was difficult for us, not difficult, but we, you know, we moved to New England because that's where we wanted to be in Boston. And then they moved the team. But we, you know, once you got settled in, my wife and I bought a home down there. We had the, we had the one child uh, leaving Boston. So our life had started to grow and to go there. We, we ended up staying there 13, 14 years. So, uh, it was a great part of our life that we really enjoyed a lot of good friends. Uh, in that area, and, and actually, it's a great place to live. Great quality of life down there. Right. In Hartford in 1975, the first year in the playoffs, you find yourself kind of in the middle of one of hockey's all-time notorious brawls against the Minnesota Fighting Saints. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The brawl in the mall, and uh, so you end up uh, famously uh, taking a. Uh, Cheap shot, as was described by Bill Butters, who's since changed his colors. And um, what are your memories of the brawl in the mall, Larry? Well, I was in the penalty box, but Billy Butters was in the penalty box. We both had that roughing penalties, and the brawl started. And I come out of the penalty box, he came right behind me. And once I got to where the fight was started, he had punched me, and then it just took off. And it went on for like, I don't know how many minutes it went on for, but quite a bit. And then Jack Carlson got into it with Nick Fatio. There was many uh, grabbing and punching, and there was a lot going on for a long, a long period of time. Yeah, sure and was. Bob Newmeyer describes it pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you sure did. I, I got that 45 record when I first went down to uh, Hartford, and I wore that thing out. I, I loved loved listening to both sides, Whaler's song, and I loved listening to the, the brawl in the mall. Uh, I remember a couple years ago talking with Gary Swain about that. He said he was never so tired in his life after that was that fight was always yeah. he had three different fights in the in the, in the, in the same uh, in the same mix there. So, um, but the crazy part about it is both both teams flew to St. Paul uh, on the same plane. Oh, that is nuts when you think about after it. After the game, yeah, we flew to the we flew back uh, because it was the playoffs in. Uh, we I don't know if it was the playoffs, but we played them the next yeah. night, and we both were on the same plane because they did that sometimes. Right, uh, saving money and stuff. And uh, after that brawl, we're on the same plane. That is just the train is sat in between. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. The whole the whole era, of course, was a little bit uh, was a lot different back then. That whole playoff series started out in uh, in the Minnesota hotel room where Gordy Gallant gets into a, a fist fight with Harry Neal. He gets suspended, yeah. and then. Um, and then soon after we have, we have that going into just real quickly, 75 and 76, uh, again, injuries plagued the Whalers, uh, through that year's first year without Al Smith. And then you guys go on a tremendous playoff run. One of the most exciting parts of Whaler history, really, where you end up going to the third round, losing in game seven to the Houston Arrows eventually, but Great series over Indianapolis and a, a three nothing series over Cleveland preceded it. Cap Raider comes out of nowhere to uh, help you uh, help carry you guys with some great goaltending. What are your memories of that nineteen seventy six playoff run? It was a great it was a, you know because we had won a few years back, so we were hoping to get back and, and that was our chance to come back. Cap Cap came in and had a hell of a run for us, and it was, it was exciting. You know, playing the house. Um, who ended up with us eventually, but uh, they had a great team, and uh, it was it was really a, a good playoff hockey, uh, exciting, uh, good fans in both buildings. So that's what makes the uh, the games exciting too. Is uh, when you get the fans into it. And Hartford was re- well into it then. 
Oh, absolutely. Every game was was packed and with, with a lot of enthusiasm, to be sure. Yeah. Looking ahead, Larry, when you um, eventually your career concludes, you get into the management side of hockey. Uh, the Whalers come over in year one, um, have, a, have a decent first year. You're still playing at the point at that point. Uh, I think finish 14th out of the 21 teams. And but the team's getting a little bit older and recalibrating, so to speak, uh, had some tough drafts in 79 and 80. Eventually, you uh, coach the team and then take the reins of the franchise. And it's an interesting time uh, for yourself professionally. Uh, you're very young. You're given a lot of responsibility. And uh, you draft Ron Francis. And things look to be uh, getting the, the pieces in place to move the franchise forward. Um, and then Emil Francis comes in and a change is made at the top. Now, here's a good lesson that I learned you, by, by observing you at that point, And I think a lot of people can learn. Um, you, didn't, you handled that whole situation extremely professionally and with, I thought, great foresight. So you become, I believe at the time, the assistant GM and then eventually uh, take the reins in Binghamton take a step back to take a step forward, so to speak. And in that yes. last, in that last Whaler draft, um, uh, you draft outside the first round, Ray Ferraro, Ulf Samuelson, Kevin Deneen, a team draft, but you're influential on in that. And you have the opportunity to help nurture those guys in Binghamton. Um, so it ends up being a, a great move for everybody. And for yourself, could you talk a little bit? I think it's very important for people. I think it's, it's a really good lesson about handling a little bit of adversity and then eventually turning that into a positive. Yes, that's what exactly what happened. But I had the job. I didn't have any experience. That's when I look back. And it's a tough position to put in, get into, but you're not going to refuse it. I was 31 years old. I didn't have experience in either job. And as a player, you, I always wanted to get into management. And you always had these thoughts, well, I'd do things this way, I'd do things that way. Well, when I got in there, it was totally different. And I wasn't ready for it. And Emil came in and took over, and he was great. Uh, he kept me on as an assistant GM, and then he asked me, what do you want to do? And I really wanted to coach. So he said, why don't you go to the American League and coach? And that's what I did for three years. And then he brought me back up. I was able to coach a lot of those players that we drafted. Um, Billy Deneen was the key guy drafting those players, uh, Foxy. He uh, was our head scout, and uh, he made all the calls. He, he was uh, – so we had a bunch of those guys. I can remember at least my first year coaching down there, I think five or six guys and at the end of the year before the trade deadline went back to the yeah, – was called up to the NHL, a bunch with Hartford and then a bunch with Washington. We had two teams together there. Right. So it was a great experience. But uh, as we say, experience, again, it's hard to do without and uh, if you if somebody gets in that position you got to hope that the management above can live through the mistakes right and that was but i was lucky because I, I did go back uh, to the minors and i enjoyed it and i wanted a coach and then that i think was a great right move for my wife and i to go back there and we enjoyed it very much in binghamton with the family the kids going to school it was a great environment right and as i said great it's a teaching environment learning environment Right. Well, I remember those days vividly. That's when I became, I started my career in public relations with the Whalers. And then, um, 
the reports out of Binghamton, there was so much trust in what you were doing. And so many players, both, as you mentioned, both for the Washington Capitals and eventually with the Hartford Whalers had come through. And um, it seemed like you just had a chance to settle in, down in your career a little bit and um, get the, the experience that you needed, made the best of that. Well, eventually, of course, you returned to Hartford, 1988, replaced Jack Evans, have a nice run there over the next year and a half. However, an ownership change occurs. Uh, you get replaced but have a brand new start with a great opportunity with the New York Rangers. Well, that was, again, you know, I did everything I possibly could. Every job, all the titles, I did radio, TV, etc. cetera, uh, a little bit of everything in the, in, in the, in the whalers. It was time for me to move on. And um, I had a chance to go with the Rangers, which was, a, I really still wanted to coach, but there was nothing happening in coaching other than go back to the American League, and I didn't want to do that at that time. And um, so I took the assistant general manager's job with uh, Neil Smith in New York, and it was a great experience. We were there eight years. We won the Cup in 94. Uh, I have gained a lot of experience in the field and the management side of things. And, I mean, it worked out great for my wife and I, and then we had a chance to go on to St. Louis after that. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. We, it was a great move for us to go to the Rangers. Oh, absolutely. What's your, if you had one memory, something that the fans maybe don't know that, of that Stanley Cup run in New York. Uh, there's something that's, that stands out that maybe the, the, the public isn't aware of. Well, I, I think that, you know, the series against New Jersey was, it was a great series. That, uh, you know, Messier guaranteed the sixth game going to New Jersey, I think it was, and then we come back and won in overtime. Um, and then we, but the key for us was the trade deadline. You know, we made some trades and, we picked up. Uh, I, I think I think Anderson came in on the trade deadline. Right. Um, I forget who else. We picked up. Uh, Big Tavish came in. So uh, the finishing touches came at the trade deadline, which so many Stanley Cup teams. That's what ha- does happen. And um, those trades really kind of put us over the hump. Richter was outstanding for us. Uh, the series against Vancouver was fantastic. Um, it, it was. I forget. I forget the paper in that morning. Fifty-four years was a headline, and so again, it was a great experience for me. Um, another learning experience. Uh, uh, kind of almost take a step back to to get better, you know. And that's right. exactly what happened. Well, you end up in St. Louis with a terrific experience there that continues today. And I, um, it's curious about. Uh, eventually, you hire Joel Quenville to be head coach of the St. Louis Blues. You obviously coached yep. coached him in Hartford, had a chance to observe him as his uh, coach career is going on. What were the qualities that Joel had that, uh, A, number one, inspired you to hire him and made him have made him so successful as a head coach in the NHL? Well, I, I coached him, so I knew him. You know, he was a real player's person. You know, he he had a good feel with people, how to handle people uh, day-to-day. Uh, he was young. He, was, uh, he had some success in the minor leagues. Uh, he had been with the team in Colorado, so I mean, he had he was ready for the next step as a head coach, and I, his personality was, you know, very likable. And I think those are the key the key areas for us. Now we have we appreciate the time, Larry, and we'll look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you at a Whalers reunion soon. Okay, do it again. Thanks, Larry. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.org. Episode number four of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is sponsored by HockeyTournaments.com. If you're looking to play in a tournament or list your tournament, please visit HockeyTournaments.com. Thank you.